0: Well, again, thanks for being here. We're, we're glad you're with us today. we got a lot of exciting things coming up that you may have uh, caught a little bit in, in our announcements. And we're just pumped about what's happening, gearing up for the fall. And, again, a lot of exciting things you'll be hearing about. Also, that parenting class, I believe, starts this Wednesday. And uh, some of you could use it. Anyway, <laughs> you might just keep that. No. <laughs> no. You might want to keep Fellow struggler? Hey, you might just want to keep that in mind. But... Uh, We just wrapped up the Summer Lunch Program, and that was a a real uh, opportunity for us to impact our community, and I know several of you were involved when that, if you were involved in that, you want to stand up? We'd like to just kind of show you our appreciation. Okay, back there, yeah, we have, just stand on up, yep, thank you very much. (laughs) Heard a lot of great stories about that, some of the, the people who are interacting with the the program we're seeing, you know, we're just trying to impact people, impact communities. And sometimes they would be out about in, in, our, in our town and kids would come up, oh, I know you, and just good stuff. And we're, we're really appreciative of the people who gave up their time uh, to try to make that impact and also ultimately to point people to Christ. We're in a series, uh, Life of Unshakable Joy. And we, we left off in Chapter 3, Forrest uh, took the first part of Chapter 3 last time, as we were diving through that, and uh, he ended up, he kind of landed on a couple of verses, and I'd like to kind of pick up where he was ending, and that's the last two verses he covered were verses 8 and 9, and it goes this way in Philippians chapter 3. He says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish. So that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. Derived from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God. On the basis of faith. So that's that's where Forrest ended. And, and he talked about how. If anybody had a reason to brag for their religious accomplishments, it was Paul. And, and Force took us through all that. I was able to kind of tune into live streaming from, from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And as he took us on that, now Paul's referring back to that and says, it's all rubbish compared to knowing Christ, is what he's saying. What's interesting is this. This phrase that he uses in there, is he, he says in verse 8, so that I may gain Christ. This is interesting because that's in the present tense. So here you have Paul who has gained Christ. I mean, he's a believer saying, I count all that stuff that I did as nothing. But then he says, so that I may gain Christ, and that's in the present So that I may gain Christ. Here's a guy who's already gained Christ. Who's saying so that I may gain Christ. What's he talking about that? We're going to find that out. Today as we continue through this. Now next he continues. That's where Forrest left. And we're going to pick it up now in verse 10. He says that I may know him. In the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Here here Paul's saying, yeah, I've suffered. He says, it's all about knowing Christ. He's basically, Paul here is going to give us this profound statement and this next section is all about how, how we're living practically, our Christian life every day. And as he does that, he's going to tell us something that we need to hear. He's going to tell us that the secret to living a joyful Christian life is simply the pursuit of knowing him and growing in him. And those two things are connected. The pursuit of knowing Christ. And when I say that, I'm just not talking about salvation. He's covered salvation in those first verses I read where he says, Hey, all that stuff in the law. He says, look, I did the law as good as anybody's done the law. And I keep realizing that I have violated God's holy and righteous standards. God says what's right and wrong and I keep doing wrong. I cannot live up to the law. And then he's saying, but what I have is righteousness in Christ that I get not by following the law but through faith. But once he's there and living in faith, that means that's, that's how you become a believer. When you respond to God in faith, recognizing who Jesus is, believing Jesus is the Son of God... Who's come to die for our sins, and trusting in the fact that his death was sufficient for our sins. But but we always say it's knowing that, but wanting to follow God. That's just part of salvation. It's it's or maybe a better way to say it's the proof that there is genuine salvation. And now he's saying, "Hey, pursue knowing Jesus. This is for believers." He's talking about Paul's passionate desire is, oh, that I might know him. Oh, that I may know him. He, he's got this passionate desire to know Jesus more and more. Deeper and deeper, closer and closer. To be integrated in, in Christ's life, in his daily life. He chases after Jesus. He, and he, he's kind of warning us here too. He's saying, the normal Christian life, Is that we are in a process of pursuit or pursuing knowing Christ better and better. That's the normal Christian life. That's that's how Christians live, that we pursue knowing Him better. That's, That's what the Christian life is. That's the expectation. That's how Christians live. Now, the opposite of this is indifference. So, by implication, there's kind of a warning here. If you find yourself indifferent to knowing Christ and following Christ, there's a huge red flag here. Because he's saying, no, you, you want to know him. You, you can't have joy if you're indifferent to following Christ. And, and more than that, you need to check and, and maybe even evaluate yourself to whether you're even a believer. Because what's blocking that? What's keeping you from wanting to know Christ? If it's some huge sin in your life, you need to deal with that. Or maybe it's that you're actually not even a believer. Maybe you come to church and you like doing the church thing. And you like, you know, hanging out with friends. And and your life is kind of about that. And you try to kind of live a moral life within your community and all that. Paul said, that's not it. Knowing Christ, that's what's important. And you better not be, be indifferent. Typically, you know, how it happens is uh, people understand what Paul said earlier. They, they come to realize that, that God is real, that God created them, that God exists. And God is the only one who has the right to tell us right and wrong. That's where we find out what right and wrong is. Not what we come up with, what God says. But then along with that is realizing we don't measure up to God's right. And then you have this whole law, and you have the whole sacrificial system, all the stuff that Paul was was immersed in to sort of do these things, to make up temporarily for a time, uh, to be okay with God by by the sacrificial system and all that stuff. And and then realizing Paul comes to the realization that's only through Christ that we can be reconciled to God. And that he came to die and pay for our sins, the only one qualified, the only one without sin of his own. But then he not only forgives us, but he credits to us his righteousness. And Paul's saying, hey, when we, know, when we know Christ in that way, then we will start a life of continuing to want to know him better and better and better. But what happens is we, we start off as a believer, and then and we realize that God comes into our life by the way of the Holy Spirit, and we're pumped up and we're excited about our new Christian life. And then eventually something happens where we stumble we fall we fail we sin and sometimes that kind of rocks our world and we're like wow you know i I thought i was beyond this i already figured out this is wrong why am i still struggling with what's going on and sometimes it's so big or so repetitive that it just robs us of our joy and we're going what's going on there's no use i'm going to give up you know we just feel like wow this is so disappointing Thought I was beyond this. Why am I struggling with this? Why is this defeating me? And Paul has learned the secret. Paul has learned the most effective way to struggle. What we do a lot of times is we focus on the thing. We focus on the the sin. What we're doing that we know is wrong before God. That we're having a problem with. Because we keep doing it. And so we get... Immersed in that, we confess it. Hey, God, I admit, I'm messing up here. That's confession. And then we repent. Hey, God, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore, so I'm trying to figure out how I can change my life so this isn't a reoccurring event in my life. That's repentance. But, and, and so then we just try and we focus on that and we try to fix it and try to fix it and try to fix it. But Paul's got a better way. Paul says... Don't get caught up in getting so focused on that. He's saying, pursue Jesus. Chase Jesus. Take your eyes off of that and just follow Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Be one with Jesus. Know Jesus better. That's, and that's what he's calling us to do. Pursue knowing Jesus. That's the better way. Press on. Chase him. Pursue him. Make your life revolve around him. And sometimes, this is hard. I, uh, yesterday, sometimes I'm just stunned at how I miss opportunities. Yesterday was one of those days, I didn't have a lot to do. And so I filled up the day with just doing a bunch of, you know, I went up to Toledo to get a bumper for my truck. And then I went up into Michigan. There was an auction that involved the Centennial Farm, if you know what that is, and you know, so, there's some you know, auctioning, a bunch of stuff, and it was right next to Cabela's, so that's a win. So, you know, I'm up there, and and, and, I, don't, and I just spent, you know, it took me forever at the, the junkyard, and then, you know, went up there, and you know how it is? I don't know. I didn't even buy anything, but what I wanted, couldn't get. But anyway, just all this stuff happening. But later, I'm realizing later that day, how I spent the whole day where I wasn't really busy, but I filled it up with stuff. And I was kind of running behind on everything I did. And then I was stunned to realize that while I I spent all that time, how little time I spent on wanting to know Christ more. It bummed me out. I mean, I got to thinking about it. I'm like, okay, I'm up at this junkyard north of Toledo. You know, out, you know, finding one, and, and then they're, and they're pulling it for him. I'm interacting with you, there's like eight guys who pretty much weren't believers. I mean, I could just pretty much tell that. They, I won't go into all that, but, you know, it's pretty safe to assume that none of these guys were believers. And, and I spent, I was probably up there an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and I was amazed that not once did I try to tell them about Christ, or even mention Christ, or, or pray for them. Then, I went to this auction up in Michigan that I was late for, And uh, but that was okay, because, let me just tell you, there was a Winchester Model 94 from 1819 there. Anyway, nice, but it's way beyond me. But anyway, so I'm there waiting for that, and you're just standing around a lot. And so I'm standing around there for hours with hundreds of people, never once kind of dialed in to God's agenda, what God would want to happen during those two hours, what God might have a bigger plan for me to be there than just watching some people buy some stuff. And then, so it's a big old chunk of my day, maybe like six or eight hours. And at the end of the day, I'm looking back on that and it's just like, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. And not only that, let, let me tell you the most frustrating thing of being a pastor. Can I share that with you? Yeah, some of you, I know you're going, right, Kevin. You don't know frustration, man. I know frustration. What do you got to be frustrated? Bear with me. All right. Most frustrating thing about being a pastor. First of all, you'd think it might be something like sermon preparation or even, even though if you think about it this way. The two things that I dreaded the most, the whole time I was in school, was writing a paper and giving a speech. And that's the two worst things that could possibly happen to me at school. I do that every week now. I write it up and I deliver. It's just weird how that happened. But, so you'd think maybe the most frustrating thing would be you know studying or just trying to get this done or the whole delivery thing. I mean, you, you come out here, you say your stuff, and then you, I go back there, and I'm thinking, ugh, you know, why didn't I say this, did that, that? And then, so I try to get it a little better the next time, and then after the next time, I'm like, oh, man. why? And then the third time, you know, if we had a fourth service, I'd be nailing it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's getting, it's coming. One more service, baby, that, that's how it always is. But that's not the most frustrating thing. The most frustrating thing about being a pastor is, you come to passages like this in Philippians chapter 3. And there's these it's profound, life-changing truth. And you want to cover this passage, and so you prepare and you put it all together and you realize this is just gonna sound like another talk. This is just gonna sound like another sermon. And and the frustrating thing about being a pastor is you can just kind of throw it out there, but you can't make it stick. You can't can't make it uh, get traction. Of course, only God can do that by way of the Holy Spirit. But it's like you throw it out there and and you realize this is just going to sound like another. This is key. This is important. And and I'm going to make this sound like just another uh, sermon talk to endure and then walk out. That's the thing. Because I feel this way. I think a lot of pastors do that. You want, you want for, for us to get it, to incorporate it, to digest it, to live it, to grasp it. You, your desire for, for, for myself and for you is that we would know Christ more. And it's so easy to spend blocks of time, not just an hour or two, eight hours... And realize that I've spent this whole time not that busy. Just filled up with filler. And I'm not dialed in to knowing Christ. And I look back at him. Like, what was I thinking? Why, why, not? why not share Christ? And I think for me, I've learned that, that sometimes I need solitude to, to dial in. Not everybody's that way. But to me, being alone especially outdoors, it just helps me dial in on what God's agenda is and what he wants for my life and what, what I could be doing for him. But, but it's not just that, it's knowing him, living with him, talking to him, thinking about what he wants, experiencing Christ in our life every day, every hour. That's how we have joy in the Christian life. That's what God's offering and wants for all of us, It's just to know him that way. Well, here Paul says, he's saying here, we need to pursue knowing him. Should be our our number one pursuit. And then part of that is that we would pursue growing in him. That's kind of what he gets to here in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We want to pursue knowing him, but we also want to pursue growing in him. Make your life, Paul's telling us, be about pressing on toward Jesus. However you want to say that. Fight on, press on, rock on, follow Christ, make him priority. Nothing compares. Wrap your life around following Jesus. Make sure you're closer to God tomorrow than you are today. Make sure that you know him better next week than you do this week. And then the big question is, how? We all have this sense, if, if we're believers, that we need to do that. Well, how do you do it? And I think a lot of people just get stuck on hearing things, and, and they're not actually doing the how, because they don't know the how. They don't apply the how. Well, Paul is going to help us with the how right here. Because now think about this. Paul is varsity-level Christian, right? Paul is a varsity level Christian, right? Paul's saying what? I have not attained it yet. He's saying, I'm not there yet. If Paul's not there yet, I'm not there yet. If Paul's not there, I don't think you're there yet either. Paul's saying, I'm not there. So how do we we get there? Well, the first thing that we need to do, I think, is simply... Uh, be self aware honest self evaluation that we do what paul does hey i 'm not there here 's where I am and i 'm not there yet. I need to grow. I want to grow closer to God, so we just get that that first because that 's huge that we internalize that we want to see ourselves for who we really are and, and where we stand with Christ need a little self examination I was telling story in the first service, and and I said, somebody will probably correct me, and they did. That's part of being a pastor. So I was telling a story. I was like, you know how it is when you have a child and your child's sick, maybe they have a fever, and you're trying to kind of make it through, make it through, but then like the fever spikes, and you're like, whoa, this this could be dangerous. So quickly, you take your child to the doctor. This is during the day. You take your child to the doctor. It's a little frustrating because then you go in and you sign in because you're thinking, this child's fever is spiking, like they need an ice bath, they need this, they need that. You know, you're, this is key. Brain cells could be dying here. You know, you're, you're just, all this stuff going through your mind. But then you sign in, and then what do you do? You wait. You know, you sit down here and think, man, this, we, we need to see the doctor. You know, I rushed over here. And, and then, finally, they call you back. And so you go back. Of course, you find out you're just going to sit in a room and wait a little bit more. But anyway, they call you back there. And then on the way back, they stop. And they weigh your child. They go, no weight problems here. Let's just get this kid some medicine. You know, what are we doing here? And so they weigh your child, and they measure your child, and you're kind of sitting there going, okay. And then you go back to the little room, and then the doctor comes in. And I've always wondered, why, why, they, why that? Why are they weighing? There's no weight complaints and, I, and I, I came to the conclusion, which apparently was the wrong conclusion, but it worked great for an illustration. I, I came to the conclusion that it's like, well, they have to know that your child is growing since the last time to know that your child has been healthy. So they do that, and I'm saying, that's what, that's what we need to do at church. We need to take a measurement. We need to, take our, we need to walk in the church door, and we need to know, hey, have we been growing? But then, Somebody came up to me and said, no, that's really not the reason. The reason is they do that so then when they do medicine, they can exactly do the medicine. Okay, same illustration. <laughs> I'm using this one too, you know. You walk in, you, you self-examine your growth to see where you're at, to know what you need, you know. It works both ways, all right. The point is it should be normal for us to grow, right? You know, and of course, a lot of us need to stop growing. But, you know, we, we get that. That's how the Christian life should be normal for us to grow. So we need to stop. We need to take an honest evaluation. And then, well, what about the how? The next thing is, because the whole context of this book is in order for us to grow, we need to understand that suffering sometimes plays a part in that. Because that's what he's saying. He's had a part of the suffering of Christ, conformed even to his death. Do we get that, right? God uses suffering to grow us. And I know our reaction, oh, oh why did this happen? Why, why, why? Well, you know, but if we just nailed this down, well, boy, Paul's telling us, God uses suffering in our life to grow us closer to him. Anybody ever experienced that? I mean, hard times drew us closer to God. God uses that all the time. You know, just, i kind of taken a poll here. Here's how I catch myself praying sometime. I'll know that there's some area in my life that I need to grow in. And so I'll be praying to God about that. God, help me grow in this area. But then I throw in a caveat. God, help me to grow in this area. And if you could do it without crushing me, that would be great. Does anybody else pray like that? You know, because I know that suffering can produce this growth. And I'm thinking, but I don't want to suffer. You know, so I'm like, God, you know, can you do this? But if you could do this without squashing me like a bug, can we try that way first? But the point is, no matter what suffering that we've ever gone through, always when we grow closer to Christ as a result of it, it's always worth it ultimately we will see that even if you can't see it now it's always worth it because knowing christ is the best thing it's the only thing that matters really so that's where we're at so when we get to the how we need to kind of remember we need to take honest evaluation and we need to realize it's in the bank we've seen it all through this this book so far that god uses suffering to help grow us but now the how I think a lot of times we don't grow closer to God because we don't apply the how. So let's get to more of the how. And then what does he say? He says, forgetting what's behind, right? And and Forrest, he's saying this a second time now because he's already talked about his past. Forrest talked about that last week. But now he revisits that and he says, forgetting what's behind. And as Forrest pointed out, it's kind of dialed in on the from Atlanta but he was saying that can be failures and that could be successes that can be failures like we're looking back with with regrets going how could I have done that how how, look what happened to me how how as a Christian could I have done I thought I was beyond that how could I have failed in that way What's wrong with me? And that could just bum us out and rob us of our joy. And Paul says, forget about that stuff. Forget about that. And I started thinking this week. It's not just forget about that last year, forget about that last decade. I think this is also forget about that yesterday, that failure. Forget about what happened last night if that's robbing you of your joy, keeping you from moving on. Forget about what happened in the car on the way to church this morning if that's robbing you of your joy, if that's hindering you from moving on in Christ. And then it's also, forget our failures, but it's also forget our successes. It's those two. Don't be puffed up. Don't let that you accomplish something in the past keep you from pressing on. It's almost football season. All right, man, I got an applause first service for that. You know, so, wow. Okay, it's almost football season, but anyway. And the Denver Broncos are the defending world champions. I, I got like a huge amen last time. I, yeah, the first service, yeah, that's the most godly. Yeah, okay, let's make it sense. All right, so the broncos are the defending champions so and teams a lot of times have kind of a theme as they go into the year and so you'd think maybe the broncos would have a theme something like you know defending the ship you know defending the championship protecting you know we're taking it we're we're going to keep this baby you know whatever but that's not that's not their focus coach kubiak is like no our focus is we're going to go out and win it. We're going to chase it. We're going to make it happen. Because he's saying, you can't, you can't look back. You can't look back. You can't rest on your laurels. It doesn't matter. You're not, he said, Kubiak said, we're not defending anything. We're going to go forward and we are going to chase that down, is what he's saying. We're going to make it happen. Chasing the next one. Don't look back on your successes. By the way, Cleveland Browns. See, I didn't mention that last service because I was getting no traction here with the Broncos, so I thought I'd just throw out Cleveland Browns. Didn't talk about the Cleveland Browns last service, but this service needs Cleveland Browns. All right, Cleveland Browns. They don't look back and what's their focus? Same thing, forget last year. We're chasing the next one. We're using analytics. We're going to make it happen. Forget that one. We're going for it. We got picks, man. Forget that. We're moving forward. Young team. We're revitalizing. You know, either way, don't look back. Now, it's funny, forget the past, because in a lot of places in Scripture, God's saying, hey, build a monument, remember this, have this feast so you remember that. But here what he's saying is, Forget anything, good or bad, that is keeping you, hindering you from pressing on toward Christ. From no, from anything that's hindering you from knowing him better. Anything that's hindering you from growing closer to him. Get rid of it. Forget it. Move on. So he's saying, press on. Move on. Rock on. Strive. Forget the past. And then he says, reaching forward, straining for what's ahead. Reaching, striving, straining. Paul, who's familiar with the Olympics back in the first century, he's using this kind of a terminology. He talks about the race a lot. Paul, he's into athletics. And he's saying, hey, reach out, strain forward. Have you seen the the track and field Olympic qualifications any last few weeks? I guess it's been a couple weeks since I was watching it. But, you know, Jake, our own Jake, Wookiee, didn't make, didn't quite qualify for the Olympics like he did last time. And, but there's all these athletes, they're doing the same, they're striving, they're trying. Watching track and field. And you see these people, do you watch them cross the finish? Some of them just launch themselves across the finish. They don't even try to run across. They just dive for the finish. Have you seen that? That's the picture Paul has in his mind when he's writing this about the Christian life. Forget what's behind. Launch yourself. Strain. Reach. Strive. For what's ahead. Live like that. That's how to do it. Strive to know Christ better. The goal has Paul's complete attention. He's saying, run as you pursue Jesus. Like you know, that's the only goal worth living for. And he gets it. How to. Well, next, Paul's trying to tell us through this straining, reaching. He's saying, hey. Hey. Don't take time to look back. You know, you lose a race that way, right? Keep pressing forward. Don't waste your life. Don't live aimlessly like you don't have a goal. Nobody drifts into a closer relationship with God. Nobody stumbles, what do you know, into a closer relationship with him. Strain, strive, reach you're already guaranteed heaven. I'm not talking about working for your salvation or anything like that. Can't do it. But know him. Don't miss the joy of knowing him. Don't miss the joy of growing in him. And then he continues in verse 15. He wants us to have this other view. This is, I think, important for us. He says, let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And it. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Now, Paul, we know from Paul's other writings, he's not thinking that he's reached perfection. He's saying we've kind of received sanctification. We've received future perfection the day we get saved. All that's guaranteed to us. But he's saying, keep on attaining. It's basically like this. A lot of times... We are motivated and interested. We want to know more. We want more information, more information. We want to know more about it. And now we're in the information age where you can look up anything on Google or anything on your computer. You can find out all this stuff. You can know more and more and more and more stuff. What Paul's pointing out here is do what you already know. It's okay to get more information. But somewhere we need to stop. Whoa, hold on. Do what you've already attained. Do what you already know. Put into practice what you already know you ought to be doing. Don't make all your time about learning one more thing that you're not going to put into practice. That's just living a lie. Put into practice. Do what you already know God wants you to do. Is what he's saying. Do it. Live it. It's okay to look for more knowledge, but make sure that you're also doing what you already have learned. Put that in. How to keep growing then. Well, you understand suffering's role. Forget what's behind. Strain toward what's in front of us. Do what we already know. And then one one last one here. Rub shoulders with other believers. Look at the next verse, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. You hear Paul saying, hey, rub shoulders with other people. Hang around Christians. Part of what we do at church. Get around other believers. But don't just get around other believers just to hang out with other believers and not accomplish anything. Hang around other believers in order to accomplish your goals. For example, guys, if you know that you're kind of struggling with loving your wife the way God wants you to love your wife, if you're struggling with loving your wife self-sacrificially, well, then find another Christian man who you see, he's got his flaws, but he's nailing that one. Get around him, befriend him, rub shoulders with him, So you can learn from him and you can see how he models it, how he does it, how he loves his wife. Self-sacrificially. Figure out how he's doing it and let him be an example to you. That's what Paul's saying. So we have some strategies on the how. We evaluate To recognize we need it, we understand suffering plays a role, so we never have to question that anymore. God can use that for our benefit. And then we forget anything that's slowing us down from behind and we keep on moving. Even if it's last night behind us, we keep moving forward. Anything that hinders us, good or bad. And then we strain, we reach out, we reach for opportunities where we can grow closer to Christ. We look for them. We take advantage of them. We we want them. And then we rub shoulders with with other believers. And so they could model the areas that we're weak in. And we do what we already know. And then Paul kind of wraps up the chapter this way. In verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven... From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. This last thing is... Is we have this intellectual, you know, why? Why is the Christian life so challenging? Why is it? Why can it be so hard, so frustrating, so disappointing when I fail God? Why? Well, there's a why. It's because you are not home yet. You see, in your salvation, uh, there's a, a thing called justification. That means God has. Has justified you in the sight of God. Your, in uh, His sight, your sins are forgiven. You've received righteousness, and then you begin this process. It's kind of the beginning of sanctification. Then you receive this process of growth theologically. That's called sanctification. That means a process of where you're growing closer to closer to Christ. You're becoming a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more like Jesus. But in the future, there's glorification, which is the end of sanctification. There's a time coming. You are not home yet. The struggle, yeah, it can be a struggle. It's just temporary. It's just for a time. A day is coming when you will stand face to face with your Savior. And then... You will not be hindered by sin. Then you will be perfected. You will be glorified. Sin will not be a part of your life. You will not have that struggle anymore. You will be face to face with your Savior and we will be celebrating with Him in heaven. Pursue knowing Him. Pursue knowing growing in him. And remember, you're not home yet. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we we thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we're standing here with a bunch of our family and friends Father, we, we recognize that not everyone here has crossed the line of faith. None of us deserve it. You offer it to all, but not all of us here have, have responded to you in faith yet. And Lord, I, I pray for those who are in that boat, Lord, that that you would draw them to yourself, that you would impact their heart, that you would help them to see that it's real, that you're real, and that you love them more than they've ever realized They could be loved and that you're inviting them into a relationship with you forever. Help them to see that, Lord, and help them to respond. And Father, for those of us who are believers, God, help us to discover anew, to rediscover the joy of knowing you and growing in you. And God, we thank you for making that possible through the greatest gift of the universe, the gift of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.